with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Jana Brody, who wrote an incredible book called Sit Behind the Nets. And we're going to talk about it today because this is a, a really uh, compelling, sad, tragic story. But really, I think um, the goal was to educate people about what happens when you go to a baseball game, what could happen, but also, you know, tell the story of someone's life. And I'm going to let Jana sort of talk about that in a second. But, um, you know, essentially, your mother, Linda, went to a Dodger game and uh, was hit by a foul ball. And uh, this foul ball uh, took her life. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that when you go to a baseball game, there's a lot of risk that that can happen with that. And uh, obviously those balls are coming really fast. And if something like this happens, you could be at risk. And in some senses, it's very rare, but um, it does happen. And uh, I think that's part of what you wanted to to talk about with this book. And I guess we're at the five-year anniversary. Jana Brody, it's my pleasure to have you on the show to talk about this. It's very deeply personal relationship uh this is your mother and you chose to tell her story so how are you doing today i appreciate thanks josh for having me yeah i mean again i'm trying to reach out and share the book and and basically the title says it all i mean a lot of people i say don't read the book if you don't have time but get the message it's sit behind the net so it is a bizarre situation. Uh, my mom's actually the second person to die at Dodger Stadium from a foul ball, which to me was what led me to start the path of the book. I did some, you know, research and I, you know, after the morning period, I would start to tell my story. People would say, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. And they, you know, a lot of people didn't know what happened. She wasn't sick or anything. So I said, yeah, she unfortunately got hit by a foul ball, Dodger Stadium, and died from, you know, bleeding of the brain and massive head trauma. And their mouths just drop open. They're like, wait, what did you say? I go to the Dodger Stadium. I love the Dodgers. What are you saying? I've never heard this story ever. And that's what got me thinking. I kept saying, well, every reaction is so strong. Everybody's shocked. Everyone wants to know, you know, what happened? What did the Dodgers do? There's no, there was no information shared. So then I'm like, yeah, that is kind of weird. <laughs> no one knows. So I started Googling, you know, um, fan deaths or baseball injuries. And sure enough, I got a beautiful article written that same year, 2018, by Willie Weinbaum, praising the extension of the net to the dugouts that year. It was just that year that it was all finished. So there was some speculation of fan injuries and people getting hit. And I dove into it and found out, um, you know, the statistics that were created by a Bloomberg study was 1,700 folks were getting hit every season. That's every 10 games in a professional ball. And that's not counting minor league. That's not counting college. I mean, it was shocking how many people are getting injured. And then I found in that same article, Willie had talked about Alan Fish, a boy from 1970 who got hit by Manny Moda and died from the same thing, head trauma. So I just quickly wrote him back and I said, you know, my mom died in August. How could I get that statistic changed from one to two? <laughs> you know, people, that's all I can really say. And he wrote me back instantly. And I don't know, he's out of New York. 
So he had interest and he wasn't biased. I mean, he just, what are you talking about? You know, as a reporter, I see nothing about this. Um, again, that's what got me on this road uh, of getting the word out. So I appreciate, you know, this is five years later um, and I'm still getting the word out. People are still getting injured. There was just an announcer that got beamed in the, in the box, you know, so um, there has been change, which I'm very proud to say. Dodger Stadium has um, raised the net and extended them all the way to the foul poles. Major League Baseball um, is stepping up. But however, I'm still advocating for minor league, for college ball, for um, spring training. Um, it's it's more common than people think. Mm. So <clears throat> take us there. I know you were not at the game when it happened, but as best as you can tell or, or tell us, share with us, where was your mother sitting, right? And, and how did this happen? Uh, obviously, those foul balls, they come very fast. Some people, I mean, very rare when people actually catches it, usually hit something, it bounces, and they scramble to get it. Help us understand what your mother experienced that day. Okay, yeah. And again, um, talk about the distractions and, and stuff like that. I mean, my dad is an athlete. He, you know, he's, he's uh, pays attention. He, you know, it's not, and my mom doesn't even have a, a iPhone. It was in her purse. She wasn't on her phone. You know, these people, they were watching the game. <laughs> so they were in the loge section, the yellow, which was um, up behind home plate to the right a little bit, just beyond the netting. So the netting was here and the loge is, you know, just beyond that. So um, sure enough, you know, my dad even commented on the player who was up. It was a San Diego player. And he was huge, like a football player. He said to his brother who was there at the game with him, wow, this guy is so big. He's the biggest guy on the team. So that being said, players are huge. They're hitting the ball faster. Pitches are coming faster. So sure enough, this guy did a foul ball tip um, up be beyond the netting into the load. And one in 40,000 hit my mother. So it's nuts. It, the velocity was so strong, it bounced off her temple and actually hit my uncle in the stomach who was sitting behind her, and he felt it. Mm. You know, it's like craziness. And it was like split second. It was, I did some investigative reporting on myself as best I could. And, you know, Brian Gumble did a whole story on this, how did people behind, you know, plastic and being prepared for the ball and knowing it's coming and they still flinch and turn and can't catch, you know, be prepared to catch a ball. So this was just fast and furious and, and strong. And it hit her in the temple. You know, my, my aunt was there and she said, are you okay? And she says, no, I'm not okay. And then the usher came down and they, you know, chucked her and, um, they put her up in a, you know, whatever they could get her up the wheelchair, put her in the, in the elevator and, you know, put her in an ambulance. Unfortunately, that was pretty much the last thing she said because she started to choke in the ambulance. And that way you have to put a breathing tube in. And that was pretty much the beginning of the end. So it was crazy to be home in Santa Barbara. It was actually my wedding anniversary, August 25th. I just come home from a really lovely community party. I was up at midnight just because winding down from the evening. And my sister called 
my sister and me, you know, she lives in um, two hours away. You know, we're friends, you know, she just doesn't call me that often. And so to get a call at midnight, I was like, oi. So sure enough, she relayed the story that mom's in ICU at USC um, Hospital blocks from Dodger Stadium. Yes, she went to the game. It was um, late in the game, like ninth inning even. So it was late and, and she was in uh, having emergency brain surgery. And I was like, wait, what? You know, getting this kind of call late at night, it was just very mysterious. So because she was in ICU and I was two hours away, I was like, she said, just, you know, wait till the morning, you know, and come out. We'll let you know what's doing. No need to drive in the middle of the night. So there I was, you know, and I, I obviously didn't sleep. I had a migraine. I never get headaches. And I had this major migraine the whole night through the morning. And um, I was like, feel like I was channeling her pain even. She, she's the one who's got migraines often. So that was very, very mysterious. But it was, it was pretty shocking to hear anyone went to the Dodger game and never came home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and were your parents dodger fans i mean is this where they go to dodger games often what was their relationship with with baseball oh i'm glad you asked yeah it's all in the book uh -huh. that, my parents have block tickets so for people that don't know it's not exactly season tickets but it's every 10th game so it's a lot of games <laughs> they're very avid dodger fans they're in their you know 70s and 80s we've been going since I was a kid my, I was a big a Dodger fan with the Garvey say Lopes Jaeger team I went every as much as I could you know and we were big you know growing up in the San Fernando Valley it was very close that's where my parents were living and that was date night every 10th game they went with um my dad's college buddies they had four four seats great seats and they go often they pack a lunch they you know they make it a whole outing and mysteriously enough this one game his buddy called and said you know what my wife's not feeling good why don't you take the tickets so to me that was a bit of a miraculous situation behind this whole thing my dad invited his brother and his wife so they were there for this horrific event and they were able to drive the car to the hospital and be there for my dad during brain surgery and, you know, have a brother by your side. I'm sure the best friend would have come too, but to have your brother there, this was to me was very mysterious meant to be situations that I talk a bunch about them in the book that it's so unplanned, but things that were helpful and help, you know, to help my dad along, to help us grieve a little bit. But that that just kind of started the mystery of the, you know, of all games, my uncle and aunt were there as well. So yeah. that was amazing. What was the Dodger organization reaction to this? This was hit by a what a, a San Diego Padres player. So Talk a little bit about the reaction from the Dodgers, the Padres, MLB. It sounds like this didn't get much attention at all until you brought it to that sports writer's attention. But talk to me about what was the reaction from the organizations? Well, that was part of the mystery, too. Um, again, I was, you know, we were in the grieving process. My dad is old school. This is all meant to be, you know, it's not their fault kind of thing. 
But, um, you know, this was before I reached out to the journalist. You know, this was about, you know, five, five months. It took me to say, how come nobody knows about this? And again, there was a, there was a, um, like you mentioned, an usher was there. There was the EMT people. There was probably a popcorn seller. There was probably people sitting next to it. No, nobody shared the story. So um, I did learn later that my brother in law, who was actually my sister's boyfriend at the time. So he wasn't even really, you know, he, he was involved with the family and, but he had the sense to like reach out to the Dodgers unbeknownst to me. So while we were even in the hospital, they knew, you know, he was calling them and saying, you know, this is happening. She's still alive and now she's not or whatever. But that I didn't really get that until much, much later. So I was shocked to know that when I did reach out to the Dodgers, you know, I, I found a friend who knew someone that worked there and I wrote a letter. It's in my book saying, you know, we just need some closure. Can you please like say rest in peace, Linda Goldblum, longtime fan on the Jumbotron, maybe put a little plaque on her chair, something. But when I reached out to her, she had said, oh, we've been in touch with your you know, brother-in-law to be, and and we know about it. And I was like, that's weird. You know, you knew about it, but you didn't do anything. So long story short, it's in my book too. Um, another connection, my sister had a friend who's a lawyer whose colleague knew Alan Fish at age 14. He was 14. He knew Alan from junior high. He knew about the death. Fast forward 50 years. He's now a lawyer. He has said to us, we can't sue because on the back of the ticket, there's a baseball law spelled out clearly, enter at your own risk. It's in teeny letters, smaller than the buy a farmer John hot dogs coupon, <laughs> but it does say to enter at your own risk. And people who've been injured all these years have been told no chance. You may not sue the Dodgers. You may not sue anything at MLB. They are covered and you will lose. They will appeal. You will, you will lose again. And so no one, they could barely afford their, their hospital bills, let alone a suit. So no one's really challenged it all these years. And um, because it was a death and because this lawyer actually knew Alan Fish and had a personal connection, he said, you know what? I'll, take this court, you know, I'll contact the Dodgers on your behalf. I said it in the book. It, it's, it's common. It, he did it on, um, um, I want to say consignment because I'm an artist, <laughs> but he did it on um, contingent as a lawyer. And he said, you know, we'll just get this awareness around this. Be prepared. We will not, you know, we will lose per se or whatever. So long story short, Again, we did get a mediation. It's um, that is public. The you know settlement is uh, not public, but um, uh, the mediator was shocked after four hours of a intensive, intimate, intimidating forty-four floor meeting. We you know that something did come of this, but you know. That's all I can say. But the point is, we had to do it in two different rooms. We they never even wanted to meet us and know our names. You know, it was all very political. And 
we had said at the end of the four hours, can you please have them come in and look us in the eye and we could say, you know, thank you. We are people. We're not just a statistic, you know, and that's all we really wanted was acknowledgement of her as a person, a longtime fan, you hmm. know? So it was pretty heartbreaking and um, pretty crazy, but again, it's a big institution and they have their, selves protected by this baseball law you know and things slowly by slowly are being you know challenged but you know it, it reminds me of big tobacco you know they knew they knew the risks of of um, cigarettes and tobacco in the 50s they still promoted it and sold it to us you know i mean dodger stadium not only dodger stadium but mlb knew that this boy died he died in their stadium and and they didn't change a thing, you know, 1700 people have been injured and they didn't do anything until, so I feel like my sharing the story, ESPN getting that story out started an avalanche. Okay. Um, because of where she was sitting, my mom was not on camera. They just went to the next pitch, da, da, da. but I know that, you know, Josh, there has been a lot of injuries that have been caught on film recently. And um, players dropping to their knees because they literally saw it happen mm -hmm. off the third baseline and, and games stopping and children getting injured. And so that's when the awkwardness started that the, you know, the commissioner's like, this is too awkward not to do anything. Mm. We're getting caught on film where people are knowing this, you know, and every reporter would catch an injury. They would refer to my mom's death. So the yeah. story, now, this was an injury, but guess what? Some people have died. And, you know, I think Major League Baseball finally stepped it, you know, stepped it up. And I'm thankful, specifically Dodger Stadium did make change. They were not the first, which is another mystery. You know, they could have spun it. They could have been the first. Oh, my gosh, we are so sorry this is happening to Linda Goldblum. We're going to be the first to raise the nets. We're going to, you know, let's get fan safety with PR and positive spin. That's what we kind of wanted. Hmm. That did not happen. <laughs> so, did did you ever reach out to the Padres player? I, I don't know if you name him or not, or but do you? What's the relationship like there? Okay, that's interesting because my father, like I said, who's an avid baseball, you know, goer, he's pretty confident. He knows who the batter was, but that original ESPN story got retracted and they took his name off. Because somebody somewhere found a little video, maybe that it maybe wasn't him, or you know, so there was a little bit of um, unsureness of the player. But you know, the Alan Fish got hit by Manny Mota. They, that was a, it's in the new, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. public knowledge. But maybe they wanted to protect this player. Maybe it, and my dad and me are, are both of sound mind that we say, you know, it's not about the players. We don't want the players to go to work and have to stress and worry they're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. You know, it's more the state, the stadium. It's the, it's the parks. It's the commissioner's job to keep people safe, not the player. You know, so I don't mind that his name was not was retracted. Was the foul ball during the game, or was it oh. during warmups, sir? No, it was the ninth inning. It was okay. during the game, and like I said, my dad commented to his brother how big the guy was. So like. Yeah. There's one really big guy on the team, <laughs> you know, and so 
he's pretty sure that was him. But um, anyway. How did this incident affect your enjoyment of the Dodgers and of baseball? Can you watch a baseball game now or what what tell me about that? Okay, Josh, it's really rough. It, again, if you recall 2018, the Dodgers were on the um pennant, they were on the World Series track. So I was inundated by Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. Oh. Everyone's having flags, everyone's wearing their shirts, everyone's, you know, promoting the Dodgers. And I'm like, they're making so much money and they can't even say sorry about my mom. Like I was very angry in 2018. Thankfully they lost the series that year, (laughs) (laughs) but I have to say my sister, my brother, my dad, they're watching the Dodgers on TV. still. they don't go to the games, but they're watching it on TV. And I, in my book, I I share that I am a um, Cardinals fan by Mm -hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. So St. Louis Cardinals by marriage, and I don't have to root for the Dodgers, and I can support them. My son uh, is an avid Dodger fan. He's a sports journalist, and he wanted us to go. Can I let the dog out? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah, my son loves baseball and he loves the Cardinals. And so the 20, I want to say it was 20, I think it was 2019 or 2020. I can't recall hundred percent. It must've been 2019 because of COVID. He said, you know, the Cardinals are playing it at, at the um, Oakland A's. We got to go, Tw- you know, let's go to two games. Even we're going to drive up to San Francisco. We got to see two games. And I'm like, how am I going to get myself through that turnstile? I want to do it for my son. I want to create memories. I want to be there for my husband and have fun. And we had some neighbors, big Cardinal fans. We're all going to go as a, you know, a group. And I, I, you know, I said to my friend, you're buying the tickets. You have to look at the inventory, get that. um, You know, you can do that now and find the seats. And we're sitting behind the net. So that's my point. Yes, you can go to the games. Yes, you can support your favorite team, but prepare to be behind the net and protect yourself. It's all it's 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 silly to take mm-hmm. any chance. And um, I actually made a shirt that said hashtag extend the nets, and I felt like I had my little advocacy. But I got myself through that turnstile, and it wasn't easy. And we were behind the nets, and um, we were close. You know, in that first section. And those foul balls were coming, coming, coming. But because they were going up and over the net, you know, they had time to come down and slow down and bounce around the empty seats. And those, you know, but me and my son and my husband, we all were like had PTSD. We're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, that you could just hear the cracks, see it come over. But again, where my mom was sitting, it was just a line drive shot. It wasn't like a been over and it wasn't like a home run ball where it slows down and people can catch it at the end you know this was just a shot and those were the ones that were injuring people down the third baseline and those were the ones being caught on camera so I don't know I'm very proud that you know Major League Baseball stepped up a lot of change still needs to be made minor league baseball just announced in spring that minor league is now mandated to raise their nets However, they gave him to 2025 to do it. So mm. I'm like, that's weird. Why would you give two years of more injuries? <laughs> like, so that's kind of odd. Spring training, I don't know if they've addressed it. 
Um, getting back to my book, a girlfriend of mine said, I'm having my book club. Come to the, you know, share your book at my book club. And I came to 20 women that I've never met before in Ventura, California. Uh, and one person in that audience of 20 was hit by a ball at a college game. I mean, what are the odds of that? So many people are hit and they just, you don't know. And college becomes, it's the same big guys. You know, you're still, the dangers are out there. So, you know, I really want people to know to sit behind the nets, even if you're at a college game, you know, where if it's a smaller inventory of seats, just get that seat because it's silly. It's, you know, the, and the amount of injuries is, is crazy, you know, and two deaths. I mean, anyway, that's, Let's stories to sit behind the net. Yeah, I don't think I could ever go to a Dodger game again and and you know even cheer for them, you know, if if I knew the organization was was that, you know, cold in terms of mediation or discussion. Um if that was something that that happened to me and I probably look differently at them now just knowing that happened to you. So let me ask you about the book. Um Obviously, you're not a. Uh, you have said in other interviews that you're not a. You know, you're not a writer. You know, and, and so you chose it upon yourself to to tell this story and to write a book. So, can we talk about your your process and and how you came to this conclusion and how did you decide what to put in, what not to? T- tell us about your story, about your book. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that, and and I have been asked that more and more. Um, Again, I, I am a, I've been a journal writer my whole life. So I am a self-expression and I talk to myself and get, a, you know, self-therapy that way. But not since I've been married. I mean, it's, you know, I haven't done it regularly. And obviously social media has taken over journal writing and we share our stories in other ways. But I was on a, um, I was on a podcast or, you know, it was an informational session, you know, during COVID 2020, January 2020. Um right before COVID actually. And I was sharing my art and my, what I do and trying to pivot and trying to find ways to make a living, you know? And so I talked about empowerment and using your words for good. So you can kind of see back there, I do these painted affirmations where, you know, find your favorite quote and get it on canvas. And, you know, I can get non-artists to create something powerful. So I was telling him about this and I said, yeah, I've been, um, I, I really want to get this word out about my mom as well. And I told my story about, you know, her and his mouth dropped and he said, Jenna, you know what, this is a book and this is a book with legs. People will want to hear your story and they'll want you to be on the podcast like you, Josh, and share it because it's a powerful story. And I looked at him like, oh gosh, do I really want to dive down into that dark place? And, um, write a book about this? And he said, yes, you will honor your mother's memory. It will be a legacy and something positive will come out of this terrible tragedy. And I said, oh, maybe you're right. And I thought about it and um, it gave me a chance to grieve, Josh, really. It was kind of like when I got in touch with ESPN, it was an avalanche of reporters. You can Google Linda Goldblum and you can find half a million articles, half a million. I got inundated with interviews and people showing up with cameras on my de- door. And I gave so many interviews and told my mom's story so many times that I became a little desensitized. And I 
could say it without crying. I could say it with a giggle because it's so preposterous, you know, and I realized I never really grieved because that initial time I was just spewing the story, putting on a face for the camera. So this, you know, a year later, I thought to myself, wow, you know, can I do this? Can I go back and, and write these memories? And surprisingly enough, I think because I'm a visual artist, I really could put myself back there and find the colors. And I talk about her hot pink toenails and her black, black stitches sticking out of her head. And, you know, this people were pleasantly surprised that my writing was good. I mean, it's kind of corny to say, but they were like, we didn't really know what to expect. And you really captured a visual. And you know, all five senses are kind of represented in my book. So um, before I, you know, I, I did want to publish it. I, I, I talk in my book how I, I researched literary agents, I researched publishers and this and that. But one person who was a legit literary agent told me that it was too journalistic. It should have been more documentary for mm. her for her publishing company. And and then guess what? My dad was approaching 90. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just I'm gonna self-publish this. I'm not waiting five years to get a publishing deal because mm -hmm. I want it out in the world and I want my dad to read it. So I from that one negative comment, I switched gears and did self-publishing. And I'm proud that I did because. Because she said no, I was able to get that information about minor league baseball in this in the book. Like I just right. kept adding to the story. You know, I didn't have a timeline. I didn't have a, a, a outline. And I just told myself I need to get to 50,000 words. You know, I took a, and then I would be at 20,000 and I would be like, all right, I don't know what's doing. But then again, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, an injury would happen in the news. Uh, oh, there's my next chapter. You know, then my daughter, you'll see in the end of the book, was in New York. And there's a famous play called Take Me Out, actually won the the Tony that year. It's about, it's a fiction, it's a, it's a non-real story about a guy dying by a pitch. So they had a talk back that day and they talked, you know, and my daughter raised her hand and got the story out and they asked her question. So I'm like, my story is being told in theaters. It's being told, you know. Um, I got the next chapter. So it was like my story was unfolding as I wrote it. And I feel really good about it. And again, it's not it's not just a baseball story. It's a human interest story. It's a story about um, healing from grief. It's a story about using your voice for good. So again, I, I got some good feedback. Um, and I'm just trying to get the word out because I do want people to go to the games, but I just want them to be safe. Mm -hmm. and, and just in terms of your process, did you write in the middle of the day? Did you wake up at 2 a.m. and have thoughts and write it down? Or how did you discipline yourself in a way that allowed you to, to write a book, but still be a visual artist and a mom and, you know, live your life? I think all of the above that you mentioned, <laughs> you know, and I have to say technology is helpful. When I would wake up in the middle of the night, I just would use an Otter app and I would talk into the phone and then it would transcribe to words and then I could edit my words. So it was much easier that way when it was, you know, when it was emotional, I couldn't type it. I would just talk it. Um, 
And I would set my alarm, you know, hour, eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night, you know, right one hour, one hour. But, you know, sometimes it would, you know, I'd write for five hours. Sometimes I would write for half an hour. You know, I did take webinars and courses and I wrote about that in the book that I, um, it, you know, if you sit down for 20 minutes and type and then times it by three and that's how many words you can write in an hour and how many hours is it going to take to get to 50,000 words? So I, I tried to do it that way and it motivated me, but it, it took, it took a good, you know, two years. And again, the story just kept unfolding. So I'm, I'm happy that it happened that way, you know? So talk to me a little bit about your mom. I mean, I imagine your book talks about her life, but tell me about your relationship with your mom and who was Linda Goldblum and, and who was she before before this happened? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that a lot. Um, she was, um, she'll describe herself in, in the book as well. She was a bubby, she's a Jewish grandma. You know, she was a, um, you know, a beautiful chef, a cook, a, a shopper, you know, she was a confidant. She was a great listener. She was a storyteller. Uh, she was, you know, I, I talk a lot about her in the book and, and my nephew uh, recently said something, gee, I wish I would have known her better. You know, she was kind of, you know, interesting and crazy and kooky, but it was, again, my, I, I preface by saying it's my memories. It's not my mom, my sister's or my brother's memories, but she was just a, an interesting, you know, fun, average grandma, you know, of seven grandchildren who loved her deeply. And she was, like I say, ordinary woman who had an extraordinary death. But in her, you know, because I'm a daughter and I love her very much, these fun, quirky stories kind of came out. And um, it talked about her and her pan friends. It was a game that they used to play every week. These bunch of, you know, Jewish women in the neighborhood would get together, and much like men get together to play poker. And they would play this game of pan. And I remember as a child being in the, the back room, you know, listening to their giggles and, and and sneaking out to get a cookie and, you know, just, you know, memories of her storytelling and that. And maybe that's part of the installation of how I wanted to be a storyteller on her behalf. Yeah. And you, you live in what, Goleta, California? Is that correct? Right. And so did your mom grow up here or uh, where did... Where, where did she grow up and did she have any connections to the South coast at all? Oh yeah. My mom, my mom went to LA high. She okay. was an LA person married. Uh, my dad went to UCLA. Um, they married and moved to the San Fernando Valley. My dad was a, a coach, a wrestling coach at Pierce college. Um, big sports fans, you know, oh. that's why I said they went to the Dodger game was part of date night. It was part of us growing up in the Valley. I was an eighties Valley girl. <laughs> I to totally admit that but I was and I you know it was part of our life is was sports and that's why my son is is very inundated with sports my I married a sports guy you know so um my mom you know she loved it too she was social for her you know she didn't care about the statistics and I talked about it in the book she you know she loved the cute players and uh, you know it's the same as me but we had a ball going to Dodger games all these yeah. years um, yeah, they were much closer proximity than me in Santa Barbara. Right. And, and you know, I, you kind of already mentioned it, but 
You're remarkably strong telling the story of what happened to your mother. And I think, you know, you mentioned you've told it so many times to ESPN and these national outlets that you become desensitized. But I do just have to note how courageous you are in telling the story because it's such a you know, tragic situation that had happened. And, you know, you're doing your best to honor her and also make change for people in the future. So mm-hmm. they, they don't have to experience this when they go to a game. So that that's definitely admirable. Did the Dodgers ever do anything at Dodger stadium um, as far as acknowledging her publicly on the TV, or is there any plaque or memorial or any presence of her at all? No. Not at all. Mm-hmm. There and was the- a ha- there was one half of a of a second that um, I think it was my ESPN reporter who contacted them maybe and said, um, "Hey, uh, any you know any you going to do anything? You going to commemorate this death in any way?" And they did reach out to um, that our lawyer friend. And my dad, after the, you know, um, I think it, I can't remember the timeline exactly, but there was like half a second where they were going to say, you know, let's have Erwin Goldblum come and throw the first pitch or something. And, and my dad was like, what in the, why would I do that? That's horrific. You know, I'm not, and you've done nothing, you know, this was prior to any of the netting change. Because mm-hmm. I can't physically get myself there, and and you know, I'm going to go all the way to Dodger Stadium, throw a ball, and then go home. Like I'm not going to sit there for the game. And this is, you know, we get we have given you so many chances to do something, not you know, make change. And so again, it, it never really happened because there was never even a conversation. It was like a half a phone call to the lawyer, and then the lawyer was like, you know. You know, I don't even think they heard the answer. You know, it was just like this this one thought that maybe, but then they retracted it like, oh no, that's not the right thing. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's it too bad. Pretty it's too, too bad. It was too bad that even, you know, it's interesting you as a reporter, you know, um, like I said, New York and Washington, DC, I was in the um, you know, all these great national newspapers, but the LA Times put a teeny little article in the corner, you know, so that says a lot about what's going on in, in journalism. So we're still, we're still working. We're still pushing. My dad actually had a conversation with Bill Plaschke. He's a um, LA times reporter uh, last month. And I'm praying that because it's the fifth anniversary, maybe he'll be brave enough and maybe the times will be brave enough to put something out in a big, bigger paper you know and that's what my new goal is to get my this you know podcast heard get the, my book read to a bigger audience yeah. yeah it's 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 you know the dog is such a huge institution it would seem like such a small thing to acknowledge that and in a way where they actually could look good in the eyes of the public they could benefit <laughs> from it in a pr way no one's gonna judge them they're actually can only benefit from looking gracious and it's it's unfortunate they'll be judged more by ignoring it you know um so we're at the five-year anniversary of of uh, linda's death and you um obviously are 
wanting to let people know about the book. So where can people find this book? Where can they buy it? Where can they order it? Uh, let's sort yeah, of close out with you talking about it. Okay. It's very uh, visual. I got the balls in the net. And somebody said, hey, those balls can fit through that net. This is not the netting that Dodger Stadium has. It's a mesh. You right. know, it's kind of like the same thing they put on buses. You can see through it. This is just a, a, a visual representation. Mm -hmm. But it's literally Sit Behind the Net, a memoir about a mother killed by a foul ball in Major League Baseball game. Right. So I got a lot of keywords in there. And it's available on Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble. Locally here in Santa Barbara, I've been having some fabulous um, support. Chaucer's Bookstore in Santa Barbara and Tecalode in Montecito has both had me in person and had my book. And you, you know, as a as a sports person, everyone's being so supportive. So I just want to get the word out and, um, you know, protect people. This, so I appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, I I see uh, you know a movie or document, you know something. You Put know, it out there, Josh. Here you go. <laughs> I have to say, uh, my husband was watching that FIFA documentary. There was kind of a controversial soccer thing, and I didn't watch it myself. But he googled it. He saw the pro producer's name. He emailed him and said, "I see you do controversial uh, exposés. Here's an interesting story of 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 cover up." You know, injury, people are getting injured and nobody knows. People are dying and nobody knows. This guy actually caught us on a Zoom call. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he was from England. So in the end, he's like, eh, it's a little too far from my home. You know, I don't know about baseball enough. But the fact that this guy took our call, and he even said, I get a lot of pitches. But yours was interesting. So, Josh, if you know anybody, if anyone listening here, documentary, I think it's a story. And even if, you know, it gets embellished and it, my husband's like, what if it was um, like a Dodger executive's kid that got hurt or some, you know, like make it something more. Anyway, put it out there. Thanks, Josh, for thinking of that. Well, there's so many documentaries on Netflix. You know, this is exactly <laughs> something I would watch for sure. Thank you. You know, <laughs> you know and I, but I think, you know, the comment you made, that's also the part of this story is, if it were a Dodgers executive or if it were a celebrity, um, the media would approach it in an entirely different way. And I think it's important for everyone to understand that we're all equal when we go to a Dodger game, you know, and it shouldn't be something that is covered up or not given attention to, whether you're a family, you know, lives on the South Coast or you're a celebrity or somebody famous they should honor and respect the fact that somebody lost their lives, you know, in the, in the audience there, even if there's no blame involved, just saying, Hey, this happened and we feel bad about it. And we want everyone to know who this person was and that they love the baseball and we love them coming. Like it's such an easy thing for them to do. So it's, it's very disappointing. So when the Dodgers choke in the world series this year, I won't feel so bad. <laughs> they choked that, that year. I was so thankful. They lost to the Red Sox that year, but you know, I agree. It's, it's very, it's very interesting. And uh, again, I'm just trying to get the word out and, um, you know, keep people safe because it shouldn't happen again. Right. Okay. Well, well, Jana Brody, I appreciate your time. And um, I've, I've had a, I know Judah, so say hi to him and I uh, hope he's doing well. 
and um, I will um, wish you luck and thank you for this conversation and have a great day. Take care. Thank you, Josh. Thank you.